Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport with me, Sam Matterface, the Talk Sport football correspondent, Alex Crook, and the assistant editor of The Mirror and all-round Liverpool fan, Darren Lewis, who is here. Uh, United's resurgence continues. Rashi ain't flashy, but his goals are coming in a dashy. Chelsea suffer a horror show at Brighton. Manchester City wins snooze press. Liverpool shocked at home by Leeds United and Arsenal at top of the league. It's all on the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport. No other place to start than at Old Trafford. I was sitting in the uh, press box at Old Trafford yesterday afternoon as Manchester United beat West Ham by a goal to nil. Now, I switched sides at half-time, right? Okay, so I started the game in the press box, went and sat in the Sir Alex Ferguson stand for the second half of the game. And it was like a game of two halves. The first half was exhilarating and brilliant. When I got to the family on the other side of the ground, it was dull as ditch water. And we ended up having a conversation for about 30 minutes until West Ham came good at the end. But we must pay tribute to Marcus Rashford, his 100th Manchester United goal. Uh, Man the match performance, although I'm not necessarily sure about that. I don't know where the man the match performance came from because Lissandro Martinez and Diego Dallo were, as far as I'm concerned, absolutely vital to that performance. But a win is a win, Crook. A win is a win. And uh, they're coming in uh, fairly ready supply at the moment. As you say, it wasn't um, it wasn't a vintage performance. United didn't blow West Ham away. I thought they were in complete control in the first half. West Ham took a long time to warm up. Uh, when they did, it was a bombardment those final 15 minutes. David De Gea, exceptional. I think special mention for Harry Maguire. As well, a lot of pressure on his shoulders, but I think he stood up to the test. Uh, brilliant block late on to deny Jarrod Bowen what looked a certain goal. Uh, what I'm most pleased about with Marcus Rashford, I tweeted about this on Sunday night, and they actually picked up on it on the match that day analysis. So we we think on the same wavelength, myself and Jermaine Genus, is that Marcus Rashford is now playing like he believes he's a centre forward. He's spending more time in the penalty area. He's getting himself in positions to score goals rather than hanging out wide and waiting for the ball to come to him. And it reminds me a little bit, there was a season when Wayne Rooney started to score headed goals all of a sudden. It was 2009-2010 when Sir Alex Ferguson basically told him to spend more time in and around the six-yard box. Looks like someone told Rashford to do that as well, and it's paying off. There's a bit of a relationship developing between Ten Hag and uh, Rashford. When I spoke to Eric Ten Hag last week, he said, uh, Rashi's fun to be around, he's, he's, he's great. He's great at taking on information. He's enthusiastic. He's playing well. The goals will come. Don't panic. Blah, 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 blah. And I just thought it was just a bit of personal sort of relationship developing between the two. 
one of the things also was a bit of a problem in the first half was Darren is that he and Ronaldo were almost occupying the same space. There was the famous instant on the edge of the penalty area where they went for the same ball and then they both befuddled it and it ended up coming to nothing. But it's great for England, isn't it, that he started to score goals because my criticism of him early in the season was is that he was he was getting into great positions. He was having a lot of shots. We were at the game the other week when he was he was having a lot of shots, but not scoring goals. Now all of a sudden those goals are starting to come. It couldn't come at a better time. You know the interesting thing about Rashford is that I, I'm hearing a lot of this. He he's re, he rediscovered his belief. Actually, it's the fans who have started to believe in him again as well. Because I remember being on the kickoff show with Hugh Wisencroft. Um, I remember them clipping up at something I'd said on the show, which was that I, I just was incredulous that so many people had written off this boy who was not yet 25 and he'd been going through a bad spell, but all players go through a bad spell and he was always going to rediscover his It was his an elongated bad spell, Darren. It was, it was elongated, but you know, nobody is able to determine how long those bad spells last for. And what he needed was support to get back to where he could be. And Ten Hag has provided him with that. Your point about Rash- uh, Ronaldo, in a way, to me, kind of symbolises what Ronaldo's almost become uh, in so much as it was a very fast-flowing game. It was It's a side that plays with so much verb and whatever else. And I just don't see Ronaldo as being as a part of it. Uh, Rashford is the future. And one last point on that: you know, it was interesting that Galtier at PSG wanted to sign him and wanted to play him in the centre forward position that Mbappe at, at times has had to fill in and not been happy about filling in. Hugo Ekatike isn't ready to fill that role. That role had been earmarked for Rashford. Now Manchester United are playing him in that role and giving him the confidence to express himself, and he's doing that. Now, um, and what do you make of uh, Crook's overconfidence, uh, Darren? Are you uh, are you pleased with the fact that he's so happy with life and he's in? He said to me, "I'm in a great headspace. United are going to finish second. His his whole life has come together, culminated in this this joy that Manchester United have put this brilliant run together at, at just the right time before the World Cup. Is that overconfidence on his part? Is he is he getting a little ahead of himself here? Do you think? I mean, he would he would never usually do that, as we know. He's quite an understated character. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's made a few bold claims on this podcast, but actually, no, no, this is one of those ones that I don't think are is necessarily that bold because now United have moved away from investing in Galacticos and, and, and players they're bringing in for commercial value, mm-hmm. and they've ordered all now they are now bringing in players that want to work for the shirt, that want to give the shirt the respect it deserves, that players that don't feel they're doing United a favour, but they're doing themselves and the club and the manager a favour. And yeah, I mean, what is it? Eight wins, six wins from their last eight games, the other two drawn, 11 wins from 15 in all competitions as well. I, I think they're on a tremendous run and I can't see it stopping anytime soon. Um, uh, Crook, you think they'll finish second? Um, it's not, it is a bold claim. I mean, you know, it is, it is a huge, bold claim. But is it, is it, are you going to stick by Listen, it? Listen, I, I won't go, I won't go as far as to say they will finish second, although Darren Ambrose and Bayo Akin Fenwick did their best to get me to say that on Sunday evening on the boot room. But I think they've got a chance of finishing second. I think when everybody's fit, their squad is deeper than Arsenal's. Um, obviously, it will depend what happens in January. 
But you look at the teams they've already played, they've played basically everybody in that top half of the table, obviously been beaten by Manchester City. They've picked up notable wins against some of the other so-called big six teams. I think if they can keep people fit and if they can get the likes of Martial back and, and firing as well and Varane, then I think the future looks bright. They've got two games before the World Cup in the league. They've got uh, Aston Villa and Fulham. If they can win both of those matches, then I think the second half of the season is looking really rosy. Crook, there's about 10 teams that have a chance to finish in second. I mean, the the question was, are they going to finish in second? I mean, Darren, I mean, that's just, that's just he's now gone from bold claim to skirting <laughs> around the edge. <laughs> he has. And here's my concern for you, Crook, just before you do step over onto the ledge. Um, at the moment, Arsenal have 31 points, right? No team in Premier League history with that number of points at this stage has ever finished outside the top two. The only team not to win it with those points is Newcastle in the 95-96 season. So if you're saying right now that United are going to defy history, that's, that is quite some bold claim. You still want to do it? I think they'll finish top three. But he would love it. He would love it. He would love it if Manchester United overhauled <laughs> Arsenal. <laughs> right, let's talk about West Ham very quickly, right? Because let's be honest about it. You know, it, it's pretty embarrassing for David Moyes that it's 70 attempts now that he's never won a league away game as a manager to Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool or Manchester United. And I've got to admit, the first half, they looked really limp up front. I didn't think that they tested David De Gea at all. Yes, they did towards the end of the game. And certainly towards the end of the match, they were unlucky not to escape Old Trafford with a point. But I don't think they would have deserved the point over the course of the 90 minutes. Their approach was pretty pedestrian. Maybe it's the tiredness from the travelling in the Europa League that's starting to catch up with them. But I thought they looked uninspired in attack, Crook. Yeah, I think that natural cautiousness that has always been attached to David Moyes costs him in the big games. I mean, that is a staggering statistic. Uh, arguably more staggering than the one about uh, no team missing out on the top two that Darren's just given us. And I think what would annoy me as a West Ham fan is they only really took the shackles off in those final 15 minutes. And when they did that, Manchester United were under big pressure. David De Gea has made a number of excellent saves. But why weren't West Ham more positive from the outset? Why didn't they try and take advantage of what was a patched-up Manchester United defence from the get-go? And I think there's still a frustration at Moyes' reluctance to partner Gamaka with Mikel Antonio. And um, unless that changes, it's difficult really to see West Ham hitting the heights they have in the last couple of seasons and, and mounting a European challenge. Well, it was interesting that not only was there frustration amongst the fans about the fact that Antonio and Skamaka aren't playing together, but even Antonio seems to suggest in his interviews this weekend that he was frustrated with it because he said he believed that Skamaka and he could play together. But actually, when they do their training on a day-to-day -day basis, they're always trained on opposite sides and are not given the opportunity to form that relationship. And they really struggle to get going, to me, um, West Ham United. And I think oof, they're, going to, uh, they're going to run into a few bits of trouble over the next uh, few months and weeks because you've got the World Cup interruption. Declan Rice is their sort of linchpin their keystone in the middle of the park if anything happens to him during the world cup they're in massive massive trouble defensively they don't seem set they haven't been set all season they've had injuries and issues with personnel and they've had to chop and change Tilo Kera played right back yesterday in the game against Manchester United Zuma and Dawson together Dawson you know good solid 
personnel, but not necessarily the type of progressive centre-half that they want going forward. I just think they look a little bit off it, to be honest with you, West Ham. And they've been on an impressive run. They've been grinding out results. But the next few weeks are going to be really important for David Moyes. Right, let's move on to Forest and Arsenal. Arsenal 5, Forest nil, and Nottingham Forest were dreadful defensively. Arsenal ruthless in attack. And they ended their little funk by making light work of Steve Cooper's team. Uh, Thomas Partey's screamer uh, was almost a carbon copy of the goal he scored in the North London derby. Uh, Martinelli's header was absolutely sublime. Saka played well. But the big concern, Darren, it all had us quaking in our boots, was when Saka was taken off. What, what, what's happening? Please just wrap him up in cotton wool, stick him in a cryo chamber, do whatever it takes, look after him, mummify him for three weeks, whatever you do. I'm not I'm not that concerned as you are Sam because we've got so many good players in our attacking uh framework that I, I think he should be given the time to rest and recover as long as it takes because he's going to be a fantastic player for a long time to come and I don't feel that he should be rushed back the the feeling seems to be fairly relaxed at Arsenal um in terms of uh, when he will come back there doesn't seem to be any panic just yet particularly given that Reese Nelson came off the bench two goals and an assist and also the fact that Jesus hasn't uh, didn't score yesterday but I would say that's cause for optimism if other players are stepping up to the plate and taking responsibility. I agree with you. And he came up with a couple of assists. Um, he defaulted to my captain and fantasy team and he got me 18 points. So I was delighted with his performance yesterday. Um, I did have a bit of a row with a Nottingham Forest fan on the Sunday session and Crook uh, uh, sort of had a bit of a laugh and a joke at me. How dare you defend Steve Cooper after a 5-0 defeat? And the reason I had a row with the uh, Forest fan was because he said that Steve Cooper doesn't go into a game with a plan. He never has a plan. Uh, when we're away from home, which is just frankly not true. Maybe those things don't work. And you can criticise the performance all you like from yesterday. And there was a lot to criticise in that match, right? Nottingham Forest were bad. Defensively, atrocious. Like there was one particular incident where Nelson scores his thing. It's his first goal where he cuts in on his left foot. And two Forest defenders do that comedy slide right past him. It's, it is, it's woeful defending. But to suggest that the manager who took England's under-17s to a World Cup final and won it, that took Swansea to within a hair's breadth of promotion back to the Premier League without spending a single bean, to the guy that brought Nottingham Forest from the bottom of the table into the Premier League for the first time in 23 years, doesn't go into a game with a plan is nonsense. It may be that plan doesn't work. It may be that the players don't execute it particularly well. It may be they had an off day. But last week, they went into a game with a pretty clearly defined plan against Liverpool and beat them. So the idea that Steve Cooper is some sort of fraud, to me, ridiculous. Don't even even utter those words. Chris. If I was going to criticise Steve Cooper, it wouldn't be for not having a plan. It would be for not having a plan B. Because we know the plan. Uh, it was to soak up Arsenal pressure, try and hit them on the counter-attack, stay in the game for as long as possible. When you concede after five minutes, that game plan goes out the window. But they didn't change the plan and they kept inviting Arsenal pressure and they kept conceding goals. So I do think he's got a little bit to answer for there. I think the big issue here is recruitment. Jesse Lingard, who, as you know, Sam, when that was announced, we were on air covering for White and Jordan. And I said, this is a disaster for Forrest. Someone clearly only going there for the money. 
one-year contract set alarm bells ringing straight away. It's now 24 games since Jesse Lingard scored or assisted. He doesn't look like he wants to be there. He made the wrong career move. He should be at West Ham right now, and I'm sure we'll be playing a lot better. But the most baffling aspect to this, for me, is that Forrest spent £161 million on new players in the summer, and their first-choice centre-backs in the Premier League are still Cook and McKenna. With the greatest will in the world, that centre-back pairing is not going to keep you in the Premier League. And I know you think Forrest will stay up. I can't see it. Going into this weekend, they had an identical record after 12 games. Same number of points, same number of goals scored, but they conceded five more than when they were last in the Premier League back in 98-99. That ended in relegation. I can't make a case for Forrest staying up. The only reason they're in touching distance is because there's not much to separate the bottom 10 teams in the league. They will go down. I'm absolutely convinced of it. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. No tricks, just treats on the TalkSport network where the football is free and plentiful. De Bruyne, who has already racked up nine Premier League assists so far this season. Two goals, he steps up right-footed in towards the far corner. Off the top of the crossbar and in. Palace 1, Southampton nil. 38 minutes of the first half gone. Odson Edward with the final touch. Brentford 1, Wolves 1. Wolves have just equalised within a matter of seconds. What a finish this is as well from Ruben Neves. Bournemouth 2. Tottenham 3 I said don't rule out a Spurs winner and that Spurs winner surely has come two minutes into five added on finds Almiron for Newcastle drifting towards the edge of the area oh what a fantastic goal Miguel Almiron take a bow Brighton 4 Chelsea 1 I mean honestly Alvin you're a central defender where were the central defenders to clear the ball what now it first they're all over the place all time Fulham 0 Everton 0 Marco Silva's side Missed the chance to finish the day fifth. Gnonto is down by the corner flag. He pulls it back. Bamford in the middle. Onto Somerville. Somerville. Angle tight. He's posted in. Somerville has surely won it for Leeds United. Unbelievable. Liverpool won. Leeds two. What a game. A Halloween howler for Liverpool on a thrilling night at Anfield. A night where defending was scary and scarce. Um, Crescencio Summerfield became the youngest visiting player to score a winning goal at Anfield in the Premier League since Wayne Rooney in 2005. And what a good finish it was as well. Um, who wants to go first here? Darren? 
I tell you what, I'll go first and I'll give absolute credit to Leeds. They were terrific and they were enterprising. They were fearless. They showed no respect to Liverpool. And that finish from Somerville was terrific. Nonta, who came on, the 18-year-old, the work he did to provide that opportunity for him was terrific and hasn't really been made enough of. I think as far as Jesse Marsh is concerned, I'm a bit incredulous that people are still saying there's pressure on him when he's just pulled off such an epic, memorable result. I think he possibly still isn't getting the credit he deserves. And you could see from the celebrations from the players and the way they were embracing after the match, they're committed to him. They want to play for him. They've just been very unlucky indeed. But they were brilliant and they deserve the credit that I don't think they're getting enough of right now. Well, listen, they got credit on this podcast last week and we were saying patience, patience, patience. Me and Crook both saying, look, do not, whatever you do, change it again because... This is a team, and I've said it from the beginning of the season, I did an analysis piece right at the beginning of the campaign when they played Southampton. This is a team that are going to win some games and they are going to lose some games because they play in a manner where they are all or nothing. They are absolutely everything. And sometimes when they are giving absolutely everything going forward, they can leave so much room behind that it can be exposed. But they will give people trouble and they gave Liverpool trouble. They've given Chelsea trouble. Um, they will give other big teams trouble. And I think actually they're probably more likely to give bigger teams trouble than they are smaller teams because of the way that they approach the match. Um, But it's a lot easier to get opportunities when your defenders are incredibly off the pace. I watched the first goal over and over and over and over again. This is the eighth time in 12 Premier League games this season that Liverpool considered the opening goal. It's the 12th time in 16 Premier League matches stretching back to last season that that has happened. The first goal, litany of errors, you know, high up in the left fullback position for Leeds. Jordan Henderson comes out, misses the tackle. Further up the field, we're getting to the halfway line. Fabinho makes a mistake, goes the wrong side. It goes out to Gomez, who takes it to the touchline, doesn't look because he play, uh, plays the dreadful pass back. Allison slips. Van Dyke's not even looking. He's got no clue where Rodrigo is. It's absolutely dreadful. And the winning goal, the winning goal, I, it looked to me like the Liverpool defence was playing at half speed. What on earth has happened? Well, I like the fact that Darren spent, what, 45 seconds to a minute there talking about this game and didn't address Liverpool's problems once. That, that's, a, that's a tremendous effort at deflecting focus uh, from his own team. I just don't think they're very good, Liverpool. If you, if you look at the eleven that they're putting out there man for man, it, it can't compete with, with the top teams. I think Sadio Mane, I've mentioned it, Darren disagrees, but that's been a massive problem because Nunez... I don't think Nunez has ever recovered from that red card. You know, he looks like a totally different player to the one that started the season. Defensively, obviously there's talk that Joe Gomez could force his way into the England squad. I think he's probably a long way from that based on what we saw against Leeds at the weekend. Van Dijk is struggling. Salah doesn't look the same player either. Fabinho looks short of confidence in midfield. There are so many problems all over the pitch. And and actually, Jurgen Klopp, who's never the easiest manager to interview after a defeat, he got a bit spicy with you a couple of weeks ago after the Forest game when you suggested that maybe just the number of minutes they played last season and caught up with them. He was very spicy with Patrick Davidson on Sky after this game. He doesn't seem to have the answers. And if he can't give you and Patrick the answers, what answers is he giving in the dressing room? I don't see a way out of this for Liverpool at the moment. Well, I was going to ask you the question. He's got a lot of credit in the bank. He's achieved unbelievable things that other managers have not been able to achieve at Liverpool, like winning the title. He won the Champions League as well. 
he did get the right hump when I asked him to explain the start of the season. I said to him, you know, is it the fact that there was so much intensity and you went all the way towards the end of last season, almost winning two of the biggest trophies and winning two of the others? And now that's sort of caught up with you. He said to me, I don't know. How would I know that? Have you got evidence for that? I said, well, well, okay then. In which case, explain to me why the start to the season has been so bad. And he said, well, maybe it is to do with the fact that we played so many games towards the end of last season. Um, So, Darren, what do you think the reason is? Because I disagree with Crook, right, by the way. I actually don't think that the personnel is that bad. He's sort of painted a picture of this sort of like mid-table level of player. I disagree with that. I think you've got one of the best central defenders in the world one of the best right backs, one of the best forwards, and at least one of the best midfielders. So I think they're great, but I don't understand why they're not performing. Can you tell me? Listen, take replace Diaz for Mane, and it's pretty much the same team as last season. That got took Man City to within a point and came within a couple of games of winning all of the competitions that they were in. I think you're probably closer to the mark with the fact that they had a huge physical and emotional workload last season. They got to the Champions League final. They were affected by losing in that match. At times, you look at Liverpool at the moment and they look as though they're running through treacle. They they look shattered. I've got friends who are not having it and saying that tiredness is not an excuse, but these athletes are human and eventually it catches up with you. When you're winning, you can run through those pain barriers. But when you're losing and things aren't going well and injuries are affecting you and you're trying to give young players who've got a big future, huge workloads to compensate for the injuries in your midfield, for example, that's going to be a problem. Where Crook is right is in the fact that there are issues with the individual players all over the team. I think the midfield is ageing. There is no player in between that you've got early 20s players and late 20s, early 30s players, but nobody in between. That midfield needs a huge overhaul. And in the transfer window in January or next summer, they have to bring in three quality players. And those players have to not have the kind of injury records that Thiago, that uh, Keita, uh, and others have had Matip. I've said before on the show, the players who are injured at Liverpool are mostly always been injured. And so they've got to look at that as far as I'm concerned. But I, you know me, I didn't write Liverpool off when they were missing Van Dijk. I knew the reasons why they were doing so badly defensively then. None of us can actually put our reason, a finger on one specific reason to why they're doing so bad. But as we all agree, all the joking aside, there are a litany of reasons why they're doing so badly. But Liverpool as a club are not stupid enough to get rid of Jurgen Klopp on the back of this. They'll stick by him and they'll come through this. But I think what is quite sobering is the fact that we all sat here and people sat in the press conference at um, at Melwood and then Kirby saying to to Jurgen Klopp, you need a midfielder. He said, I don't need a midfielder. Six weeks later, he went, I actually need a midfielder. You guys were right. But the truth is he probably needed two midfielders in the summer. They didn't go and get them. And that has been a massive problem. You have to strengthen from a position of power. And they did not do that in those areas. Now, listen, they've got a little bit unlucky with injuries as well. There's no doubt about it. But there is something not quite right. And just because, look, we all believe Jurgen Klopp is a brilliant football 
manager. I don't think there's any of us that that don't believe that. He is quite difficult to deal with sometimes, but you know, largely he's okay. Um, and most of the time he's done a very good job at, at Liverpool since being there. So they're not going to get rid of him, nor should they. They should trust in him and help him and get him through. The change behind the scenes, maybe with the recruitment department, might have affected them. That might also be true. But it doesn't mean because of what he has achieved that he is beyond question, that they are beyond question. They have to be questioned now as to why they did not prepare for this season properly, why they have not got sorted in their minds what their best eleven is and are able to execute it. Maybe they have, but there is something not right all over the place there. So that needs to be sorted. Let's go back to Leeds. Um, as we've all said, we think that Jesse Marsh deserves a little bit more respect and he gives should have a little bit more patience. I'm sorry to say that he should have been fired on Saturday night, straight after the final whistle, because of the dad dancing after the goal. If you celebrate a goal like that, it should be an immediate sacking. And that was the most embarrassing celebration since Alan Pardew on the touchline in the FA Cup final when he was in charge of, which team was it? Can't Palace. Um, but honestly, serious, that was terrible. That was worse than Crook. Wednesday night, Akin Fenwar's preview, premier, um, Disco, High Wycombe, no. <laughs> it was it was dreadful. Um, but uh, I was pleased for Jesse Marsh because, as, as we've said, and you know, I'm not normally one to sympathise with managers, quite the opposite. I think he's got unfair stick. You know, I don't think Leeds have been that bad in too many games this season. And I thought they were excellent throughout the 90 minutes. He made the right subs at the right time. Really excited by uh, Nomtano that Bournemouth were very keen to sign him. So I've heard quite a lot about him and, and his abilities. And I think Leeds will be fine. They're going to be looking over their shoulder because I, I don't think they're a team who will necessarily go on a consistent run of victories. But I don't think they'll go down. OK, um, talking of managers that get unfair stick, Brighton 4, Chelsea 1. Graham Potter booed on his return to the Amex Stadium. Now, we'll talk about the game in just a moment, Darren. But how can someone who did very well for a club over a three-year period be booed on his return to the Amex when all he did was take a job at a bigger club? I mean, did Brighton not realise their, their their place in the food chain? I'm not saying that Brighton will always be a, a mid-table or lower half club, but let's be true, they are right now. Is he not allowed to do a good job somewhere and have ambition to go elsewhere? Yeah, he is. Um, but I think as far as Brighton fans are concerned, and I've spoken to one or two over the weekend, their view is that they've been plundered. Every time they produce and do the hard work of finding and giving uh, a Premier League platform to quality players, uh, bigger clubs come and plunder them. And Chelsea have taken... That's their model. It That's might their well model. Be. That's what Tony Bloom is, has uh, has orchestrated because he wants to make money out of it. Sure. It might well be, but do we have to say... Do we? Are we saying that Brighton fans have to be happy about it? Do they have to accept it? I think from their point of view, they don't want to accept it. There was the interest in Paul Wynn Stanley last week, at the start of last week, from Chelsea as well, one of their heads of recruitment. They've, they get, obviously, the manager's been taken, Bissouma's been taken, Cucurella's been taken, and Brighton fans are fed up. And and I think the booing was kind of towards Potter, but also towards the bigger clubs who literally just walk through the front door, take what they want, sit in their armchair, 
you know, kick their feet up and walk out with the family silver. And Brighton fans have had enough. So it's it's not necessarily Potter himself, but it's what Potter re- represents. Because I agree with you, he did a magnificent job at the football club. But I don't agree with this idea that the big clubs are the big clubs and the smaller clubs should stay in their lane, know their place and accept that other clubs are going to come and take their big players. Uh, I just think as far as Brighton fans are concerned, they have a right to be unhappy when the players that, and let's not kid ourselves, they make a financial investment themselves with their season tickets and their commitment to the club. And that all just gets ripped apart by bigger clubs who want to walk in and take what they want when they feel like it. Okay, it's a fair point. And uh, if you look at it like that, then maybe that sort of explains why they were so angst-ridden ahead of the game. They certainly weren't angst-ridden after the game. Um, 4-1 to uh, Brighton. Chelsea were atrocious, absolutely awful. It was embarrassing. I do not understand what they were trying to do at the beginning of the football match when they played Pul- Again, look, they went to Salzburg. Crook and I did the game in Salzburg on Tuesday night. They were brilliant. They played really, really well. They played Pulisic and, and Sterling, nominally as as wing-backs, but not really. They don't actually do that. So it's, and it looks like that on the team sheet, but that's not how they play. The two boys play really high and wide and up and and, and not part of the defence. And actually, it's the midfield players that come and add extra cover in the central areas. and. They almost play with a back. It's a proper back three where you have one central defender and a half right back and a half left back. It's it's almost as if they numerically sort of give up one because they're playing against one strike or whatever. But it just didn't work. Thiago Silva spent most of the time on his own trying to defend the Chelsea goal for the first half an hour, by which time they've conceded two, three goals. And it was it was abysmal. Does Graham Potter spend too much time with his algorithms and his mathematical conundrums trying to work out what goes where on a piece of paper and then not realising that actually football was also sometimes about a bit of passion, energy, emotion and cohesiveness. I mean, there's a human aspect to it as well. It's not just dots on a bit of paper and, and, and figures on a computer database crook. Yeah, I think you're right. And actually, what what, what did happen with the, with the booing of the likes of Potter and, and Kukurea as well is that it really fired up the, the Brighton players. It reminded me of um, a game that we were at a few years ago in the Premier League when Harry Redknapp brought Southampton back to Portsmouth. It was 4-1 that day yes. as well. I seem to recall exactly the same. Pompey was so fired up for that first half an hour because of the, the fan reaction to Redknapp that it did um, spill out onto the pitch and, and the players really bought into it. So actually, I, I think um, in some ways, by nicking all the staff, Graham Potter did Brighton a favour. And, and they just seemed to catch Chelsea by surprise with the ferocity of the way that they started the game. Shouldn't really have been a surprise because Graham Potter knows <laughs> those players so well. But if there is a criticism of Potter, and I think he's a great coach, he overcomplicates it at times. You know, he, he tries to be too clever. But I do think there are problems for Chelsea. Their best defender is Thiago Silva. He isn't getting any younger. Aubameyang, for me, looks like a player, I mentioned it before, in the veteran stage of his career, looks like a player that struggled at Arsenal when he was last in the Premier League towards the end. So I think, again, they spent a lot of money in, in the summer. I think if Todd Bowley really wants to get them challenging, they need to spend a whole lot more either in January or go again in the next summer window. Thiago Silva, at times brilliant, but at times, again, got himself caught into a, a load of different knots. A Trossard, fantastic, once again playing brilliantly, scoring goals, causing issues. I mean, there was a lot of talk about 
on TalkSport who is the best player outside the top six. He has to come into contention, doesn't he? Because he has done absolute wonders down at Brighton. I mean, the idea that, that Chelsea was surprised by what Brighton had to offer is ludicrous, isn't it? Bearing in mind the whole coaching staff came from Brighton. But anyway, uh, that's a debate for a different day. Chelsea need help and Raheem Sterling needs help as well. I'm going to take positive at it, right? Raheem Sterling didn't play very well before the European Championships in 2021. He played terribly for Manchester City and he was sort of falling out of favour. Went into the Euros, was fantastic, liberated in an England shirt. Let's hope it happens again. Uh, Bournemouth 2, Spurs 3. Um, how do you analyse this current Spurs team, Darren? They are oh, awful to watch, but they seem to find a way every now and again to win. I mean, they got a little bit of a helping hand from Mark Travers on this occasion, but... Um, I went two 0 down to Bournemouth, and it was it, it was it was awful. It was awful to watch, but points wise, they've had their best start ever to a Premier League season, uh, and they've had actually their best start to a top flight season for sixty years. I think the people in charge of Spurs would rather that than them play particularly well at a point of the season that nobody will remember come next May, and I think that's quite key. Spurs have played good football over the years and won nothing. And you've got to go back, what is it, to 2008 League Cup for the last time they did win something. They've been through a lot of managers since then who have played some sexy stuff and, and ultimately been fruitless. I don't see that anybody can question a guy who knows how to win and has done with his last three clubs. I also think as far as Conti's concerned, he said that it won't take just one window to solve the problems at Spurs. It will take several windows. And honestly, any Tottenham fan who believes that Conti should be binned off because they're not happy with the style of play at the moment, honestly, they, they just don't know that much about football, honestly. Because this guy, is he has a plan and I think he will execute that plan ultimately if he gets the tools to do it with. Travers did make a mistake for the goal for Ben Davis. The The next goal was poor marking from a corner by Bournemouth. Um, but overall, the XG suggested that Spurs were the better team in the game, creating more of the chances in the game. Most of that came in the second half. They were much better in the second half than they were in the first half. Uh, XG 2.414 uh, for Spurs. Bournemouth 0.54. Two goals for Kiefer Moore, which is good news for Wales. It, it, I mean, it, two brilliantly well-taken goals as well. The, the diving header was particularly impressive. But uh, for the winning goal, Antonio Conte didn't stay and watch the celebrations. He went down the tunnel because he thought there was a possibility that VAR would rule out the goal. And in his words, he said, give me a heart attack. So he just went off into the dressing room, um, which is a little bit of a, uh, a worry about the, the faith that he has in VAR. Crook, what happened with the ball boy? Yeah, that was uh, an incident that actually got overlooked just because of the, the dramatic nature of Spurs' win. Uh, basically, a young lad, around about 14 years of age, probably held on to the ball a bit longer uh, than he should have done as Tottenham had a throw on the edge of the Bournemouth penalty area. I'm sure he was instructed to do that. Uh, Lucas Mora got a bit hands-on and uh, the ball boy ended up being taken away by security. It wasn't Eden Hazard uh, like with that Swansea ball boy. It wasn't quite as physical as that, but it wasn't a great look for Spurs. And I wonder if uh, the FA may be looking into it. But, but just on the game itself, Bournemouth, as you say, scored two excellently worked goals. Header from Kiefer Moore was absolutely superb for the second. I think what will frustrate Gary O'Neill is the nature of all three Spurs goals, actually. The first comes from a, a throw-in. Marcus Tavernier switches off and allows Cessignon to get in behind. There's a deflection as Chris Mappham is throwing his body in the way. Maybe 
uh, Trevor's starting position wasn't great either. Second goal, definitely a mistake from the goalkeeper. The third one, the corner actually comes from a miscued header, a 50p header, uh, as we used to call them back on a Sunday morning from Senesi. Corner not cleared. So I think Tottenham didn't have to work particularly hard for their goals, whereas Bournemouth did, and that will be a frustration. Yes, Spurs dominated the second half. They pinned Bournemouth back. But I think also this game emphasises the gapping class and the, 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 the fact that the five subs rule favours the big teams. You look at the players that Tottenham could call upon when they were making their five subs compared to what Bournemouth had on their bench. It was a, a marked difference. Now, just asking about the 14-year-old, do you not think Crook that the instruction to him to hold on to the ball a little bit too long reflects badly on the club rather than him? Because in, in, in the heat of battle of the game, uh, so Lucas Moore's probably not even thinking about who's got the ball. He just wants to get the ball. And why is the ball? I'm not condoning, obviously, the the the, the manhandling of anybody. And I don't think he manhandled the kid. He just tried to wrestle the ball itself away. But why are clubs instructing children to get involved in that way at a very fractious point of the match? Surely that's on the respective clubs because I've seen it before. Well, I don't know that they've instructed him. That, that's, that's a guess, um, unless he's taken the, the matters into his own hand. But listen, the game management is, is very much a part of, uh, of modern Premier League football. Uh, you, you look at the amount of time that the ball actually spends in play now. Was it a Newcastle game the other week when there was only 53 minutes where the ball was actually on the pitch? Clubs take every little bit of advantage that they can. Yeah, I, I don't know if the FA will clamp down on Lucas Moura. There probably wasn't enough you know, um, aggression for that to happen, but it wasn't a great look, particularly at a ground like Bournemouth, where obviously it's very intimate, so everybody, no matter where they were sat, saw exactly what happened. Uh, Newcastle 4, Aston Villa nil. Newcastle make a top four statement, similar to Arsenal being considered titles contenders. When are we going to actually believe that they can make it into the top four, Darren? Uh, around about March, April next year, I think, because there's a long way to go. There's also a World Cup in between. Um and so, and we've seen all of us and everyone listening and watching has seen enough football to know that as good as any team is right now, we're still in what October, and there is a long, long way to go. As I put it to you in the WhatsApp group, this is almost like the thirteenth fence, the thirteenth fence of forty in the Grand National. Um, and so, Alex Ferguson famously said, didn't he, that I don't really start to think about who's in the title race until around about March, April, till around about Easter. So um, that's when we can start to look at Newcastle and see whether or not they're going to be in and amongst it. He's done well, though, Eddie. Any go on, say it. He's done well. You can. He say has. It. He has. He has. And listen, I've mentioned the money before, but I think you, you also it's also the management of the players, Almiron. As I think only Neymar in the top five leagues has scored more goals from South America from uh, uh, than Miguel Amaron. That's how well he's done with his seven so far in the last month or so. And I think as far as Joel Linton is concerned as well, converted from a failing striker into a midfielder, he's done well. The recruitment's been outstanding as well. None of them that expensive, but all of them coming together to form a fantastic platform for the expressive players to go and express themselves. They've done well. Almiron scored a beauty. Does he score any other type of goals? Not anymore. He's got six in the month, the same number as Erling Haaland. We should be bigging him up. He's done very well. Callum Wilson has scored twice in front of Gareth Southgate. Probably could have had a hat-trick during that match as well. Um, Villa were an absolute mess. The idea that their problems were solved by sacking Steven Gerrard came home to roost during this game. 
they could have conceded six or seven goals. They were defensively awful. Um, but the big talking point for me was why on earth Emmy Martinez was not replaced immediately that he had collided with Tyrone Ming's knee. When are we going to start taking concussion protocols seriously in football? He was clearly disorientated. He clearly had a problem. Minutes later, he had to be replaced. There is an extra sub for concussion. Why on earth did they not make it? One look at the replay shows a man being kicked in the head accidentally by a knee from another man who is absolutely huge, running towards his own goal. That impact was obvious straight away. Why did they not react? Well, I still don't think the, the, the concussion sub rules go far enough because obviously had they have made that concussion substitution, I believe even if he'd been declared medically okay a few minutes later, he wouldn't have been able to come back on. So I think, well, I think that change needs to be made. I think if that was in the rules, listen, I'm not condoning Aston, but they should have taken him off anyway. But if that was in the rules, I think they would be more willing to take him off, give him a medical assessment, bring on uh, Robin Olsen, who himself mm. had a bit of a nightmare when he when he did totally come agree. on. Um, then I think the decision would have been different. But you're right, he should have been taken off. And actually, on the subject of player welfare, it wasn't a head injury, but I commentated the Arsenal game. It took a long time for Arsenal to bring off Bukayo Saka. He was clearly struggling for a good five, ten minutes. You know, on, <laughs> so close to the World Cup. I don't know what they were thinking. He had to come off a lot earlier than he did as well. I think that while it's in the hands of the clubs, the clubs will always prioritise the result rather than the well-being of the players. The clubs will deny this up and down the country. And I'm not saying that this was the case in terms of Aston Villa. I'm not actually uh, attributing that to any particular club at all. It's just a general view of mine that it needs to be taken out of the hands of football clubs and needs to be put in the hands of an independent assessor. Uh, a medical uh, professional who can basically step in and say, I don't care how important this or that player is to you. He has to be removed right now. Because if you don't do that, you will continue to get things like what we saw with Martinez um, and, and other players. As I say, Martinez is only the one we're talking about now because that was the incident. But I think that we've seen lots of examples of Football talking, the big talk, the right talk about the concussion, but when it comes to the heat of a match with vital points at stake, clubs don't do what they should. And that's the reason why I think it needs to be taken out of the hands of clubs and given to a medical, an independent medical professional to make an assessment and say, no, he must be taken off now. Well, Leicester nil, Manchester City won. There's 90 minutes, we won't get back. Um, City needed a moment of magic from Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, to see off Leicester. Actually, you criticised Crook, Steve Cooper, earlier in the um, in the day for not having a plan B. Well, Brendan Rodgers actually had two plans, and that was the first one was to sit, soak, not let Manchester City score, and then try and stay in the game for as long as possible, change the the mode of operating, and then go at them for the last 10, 15 minutes. And what he did was is is basically did keep them at bay for for large portions of this game. The 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 only thing that breached them was this world class free kick, which was totally unreachable by any goalkeeper anywhere ever, because it's gone right in the corner, almost at the junction of the crossbar and the, and the post, and, and there was no chance that the goalkeeper could get there. But apart from that, they've been kept pretty quiet. They brought on Pats and Dakar and Hiyanacho right at the end of the match, and ultimately there was great chances for Leicester to equalise in this game. 
Now, I spoke to Pep afterwards and said, is it because of Haaland that you didn't have him in the team and there was a slightly different way of operating? And he just said to me, we had no Haaland. Uh, we had Haaland against Bournemouth and, we, and we, he didn't score. So, you know, what, what, it could happen at any time. I don't know, he said. Uh, but um, it's interesting, isn't it, to see that, let's, that the Manchester City have just sort of stuttered for goal scoring over the last few weeks. Yeah, but what they're doing is that they're, they're doing enough to win games, um, which is fairly ominous for the rest of the division. I think you're right. Leicester didn't lose much in defeat. I think they're in a much better place now than they were six weeks ago. Kevin De Bruyne, for me, is the best player in the Premier League. I know Haaland is smashing all kinds of goal-scoring records, but De Bruyne is the one who really makes them tick. And that was one of the best free kicks you'll ever see. I mean, literally, it was so precise, so powerful, so clean. It was just a brilliant goal worthy of winning any match. I think they are a different team when they don't have Haaland as the focal point. I think it's asking a lot. Um, at, the, at this moment in time for Alvarez to step into those considerable shoes but as I say they just keep grinding out wins Manchester City and it's hard to see where that will come to an end I, I don't have any concerns about City as I said before you know there are lots of concerns about some teams uh, not playing particularly well at this stage of the season but as we've seen this stage of the season nobody will remember it come next April May as in relation to City they are just ticking off another win they don't have to be spectacular they don't get extra marks for artistic impression all they need are the three points and that's what they've managed to do without Haaland Crystal Palace won Southampton nil three home wins in a row for Crystal Palace now lifted them right up the table after a tough start Southampton's recent resurgence of three games unbeaten coming to an end uh, missed a couple of chances in the second half. For years, we've talked about the grey kit dilemma that Manchester United had down on the south coast. Um, now, what on earth was that that Southampton decked themselves out in during the game against uh, Crystal Palace? Could that have had an effect? I mean, it was it was awful, wasn't it? I mean, what 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 is it? Is it supposed to be fashion? Is it supposed to blend in with a crowd? Are you distracting your opponents? I mean, come <laughs> off it. Um, I mean, it obviously distracted Shea Adams, who seemed to uh, sort of shoot at the goalkeeper every time he had an opportunity. There were a few terrible kits this weekend. I thought the, the, the number that Forrest wore um, at Arsenal, when I couldn't actually work out what colour it was supposed to be, and, and the front of it looked like... Well, yeah, they looked like the kids had just sort of, you know, thrown some paint over the front of it and saw what stuck. And then what about the West Ham orange shorts at Manchester United? They were a bit of a Halloween horror as well. So, yeah, not a great weekend for, for kit lovers. Listen, Southampton were poor in the first half and that's been a theme of the season. They start matches badly, they improve after half-time, but inevitably they give themselves an uphill task. And the other problem is they don't have anyone who's going to put the ball in the back of the net on a regular basis. They were very ambitious with some of their targets in the summer. I think had they have signed Cody Gakpo, who was excellent for PSV Eindhoven against Arsenal on Thursday night, we would be looking at Southampton in a different light. But unless they sign a proper forward in January... They are going to be right down there for the rest of the season. It's not making Ralph Hasenhutl's job very easy. Uh, Brentford against Wolves finished 1-1. Wow, what a goal from Ben Mee. That was terrific. Um, it was a, a brilliantly executed scissor kick from inside the penalty area. Uh, Ivan Tony would have been proud of that. I mean, I did I read a statistic saying that Ivan Tony has scored more goals than Wolves so far this season. <laughs> it's not hard. Worry for Wolverhampton. They've scored six, haven't they, Wolves? Uh, they're so rubbish in front of goal, aren't they? It was nearly it's nearly bonfire night. They've scored six goals. What's that all about? Um, Darren, but let's talk about the sending off of Diego Costa. What is the most startling statistic of the weekend for me is that that was Diego Costa's first ever Premier League red card. 
It's true. It's remarkable, isn't it? Given that all, all the things he did at Chelsea, um, and all, I wonder when he was a Chelsea player whether referees didn't want to be, you know, they didn't need the aggravation of um, sending him off and all of the high profile um, scrutiny, shall we say, that would have come with it because he did more than a fair things that um, basically had us journalists writing a lot about him, shall we say. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. It, I heard that stat statistic yesterday and I was really stunned by it. Um, but he absolutely deserved to be sent off at the weekend. He apologised afterwards to his teammates, but for a club that doesn't score goals anyway, um, he was really needed. And I, I think that apology... It might be well received, but it doesn't really help Wolves at all. No, uh, more cards than goals since he left Chelsea, Diego Costa. Brilliant stat, that. Uh, Fulham nil, Everton nil. Um, yep, okay, set your alarm. Um, that was a snooze fest, wasn't it? Uh, Fulham had 24 shots without scoring. They're most in a Premier League game since 2003-04. Mitrovic personally had 10 shots, couldn't get past a stubborn Everton back line. Saki and uh, Cody have done very well back there and Everton becoming very, very resolute under Frank Lampard. Um, William Man of the match for Fulham. More appearances now than any other Brazilian in Premier League history. It wasn't a great spectacle. No, but I think if we're on World Cup watch, yeah, you're right to pick out the, the two English centre-backs at the heart of the Everton defence. Jordan Pickford was excellent as well. Uh, seems to be building up confidence mm. ahead of Qatar. I think Mitrovic was lucky to stay on the pitch um, for that challenge. Studs up yeah. on the shin. What, what, what did we think about that, Darren? Because we had a conversation about it on Sunday session yesterday and I was with Mickey Gray and Scott Minto and they said in slow motion it looks like a sending off, but actually in real life they're both stretching for the ball and it's just a yellow card. VAR looked at it. Um, i got to admit, I, I watched it. The first time I watched it, I just was like, red card. It's high up above the ankle. He jumps down on top of the... Uh, uh, is it Drissagana Gay, I think it is, who he, he's on top. He said... Dangerous challenge, I think. Yeah, listen, I, I agree with you. I think you you were talking about um, in yeah. slow motion. Um, VARs look at contact in slow motion. They make decisions all the time on, in slow motion. So why would that not be the case in this situation? I'm very surprised. Yeah, I was surprised by that. I mean, I think they try to look at it at full speed because they want to see what the, the, the velocity and the speed of the impact is. But yeah, I think Crook's right. I think it's a, I think it was a, a, not a great challenge, to be honest with you. Uh, big games in uh, midweek in the Champions League, mainly for Spurs. I'm doing this game away at Marseille. Spurs away at Marseille, live on Talks for Huge match for Antonio Conte. Which way does it go, Crook? Well, I actually put it to Antonio after the game on, on Saturday. How much better will you need to be over the course of 90 minutes than you were at Bournemouth to get the result you need? And he admitted uh, that they would need to show a lot more personality um, and start the game in a much better vein. It was interesting on Richardson, actually. He's not really been picked up. Richardson was at the game on Saturday. He was leading the, the celebrations from behind the dugout uh, as Tottenham got that late winner. He was due to have a scan on Sunday. And Conte said if the scan was OK, he would be available ahead of schedule for Marseille. He described him as a warrior and said it's rare that a player would be willing to risk possibly doing himself harm for the sake of his club so close to the World Cup. So, yeah, kudos from Antonio Conte to Richarlison. Wow, that's, uh, that's, that's big news. Darren, thank you very much for your time this morning. Thank you.
And uh, Alex, thank you very much to you as well. We'll be back on Thursday afternoon looking ahead to the Premier League weekend and reflecting on what's happened in the Champions League here on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Remember, you can download us uh, from Spotify, from Apple Podcasts, from anywhere that you get your podcasts. And you can watch the show on YouTube. So if you're listening to this and you think, I want to see their ugly mugs, uh, then go to YouTube, uh, go to the TalkSport official channel, and you can see uh, all three of us smiling throughout the course of of this podcast. Uh, Well, apart from Darren, he's still very miserable about uh, Liverpool. (laughs) See you soon. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 